The epistle lesson for the 11th Sunday after Pentecost comes from Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 4, it's verses 1 through 16, and it's on page 828 of the Pew Bible. And please stand as you're able for the reading of Scripture. From Ephesians 4, beginning at verse 1, we read in Jesus' name. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying, he ascended, what does it mean but that he have also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things." And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Father, these are your words. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. Amen. And you may be seated. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. There is one Lord. His name is Jesus Christ. And he is the only Lord. And he is who he is. What is true of him is true, and what is not true of him is not true. And the same thing can be said for the other members of the Trinity. The Apostle Paul, he lists them all here, and you notice them in reverse order. The Apostle Paul says there is one Spirit, there is one Lord, who is Jesus Christ, and there is one God and Father of all. They are who they are. There is only one of each. What is true of them is true, and what is not true of them is not true. Now, this should be obvious, right? But oftentimes, when we deal with religious matters, we get this silly idea that what is true in one person's mind is different than what's true in another person's mind, and both can be true in reality. And I suppose this idea persists because religious matters, at least for the most part, lie beyond what we can see and handle at the present moment. Now, many ordinary religious controversies can be settled simply by investigating the facts. Suppose that you have a friend named Bill, 
And you and another friend are confused about Bill's family tree. So you're arguing about whether Bill is the son of Fred or some other guy. You can't both be right. But, fortunately, you can settle the argument. You can go and ask Bill, or you can go and ask Fred, and you can find out for sure whether or not Bill is Fred's son. Because either Bill is Fred's son, or he's not. You can't both be right. But you can discover the truth. And then, when the person who was wrong is persuaded to the right side, then you can both be right. And that's good. But for some reason, we get this silly idea that religious truth is somehow different than real truth. We say stuff like, what's true for one person might not be true for another. So one person's truth might be that Jesus is the Son of God, but for someone else, it's not their truth. Well, this is pure nonsense. But people tend to think this way because they think that religious truth claims can't be tested. They think that the laws of truth that govern every other area of life don't apply to religion. Now, it's true that most religious truth claims can't be tested. And if that's the case, we really shouldn't call them truth at all. We shouldn't even say that that untestable claim is someone's truth. Because none of us really know if it is truth. But Christianity is different. It is actually much different because God appeared in human flesh, proving himself with signs and wonders. Chief among these signs and wonders is the resurrection of Jesus. This either happened or it didn't. And Christianity actually invites the world to test it by the standards of history. And there's really only one religion that does this. Christianity. Now, we could go on and on about the evidence for this, especially regarding the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and that would be worth our time, but we've done it before, and it's not really the point of this text. I brought it up because what Paul teaches in this text is dependent on the reality that there is only one Father, there is only one Lord Jesus Christ, and there is only one Holy Spirit. What is true for each of these members of the Trinity is true, and what is not true about them is not true. So you and I, we cannot have different Jesuses. We cannot have different Holy Spirits, and we cannot have different Heavenly Fathers. There is only one of each, and they are who they are. We might have different beliefs regarding each of these three persons, but these three persons are who they are, regardless of who we think they are. So we should not be content to have different beliefs regarding these three persons. In fact, we should not be content to have different beliefs regarding any aspect of Christian doctrine. Because if we are content to let differences remain among us, it means that at least one of us will be wrong. Now, I realize this is probably opposite to the way many Christians approach the problem of Christian unity and our theological diversity. In my observation, at least, uh, most Christians tend to think that the best thing we can do for Christian unity is not worry about our differences. But in this text... Paul teaches the opposite. 
In this text, Paul teaches that there is one truth, and we should strive for unity in this truth. So Christian unity is the theme of this text. Now, on one hand, Christian unity is a reality. And whether we recognize it or not, it is true. And on the other hand, Christian unity is still a goal to be attained. First, Christian unity as a reality we should recognize. Paul says that we should be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So he speaks of Christian unity as something that already exists. He also says there is one body. And this is a reference to the church. There is only one Christian church. Now, there are certainly lots of Christian congregations. We typically refer to them as churches with a a lowercase c. But there is only one Christian church with a capital C. This This one holy Christian church is often referred to as the body of Christ. That's one of of the Bible's terms for it. And since there is only one Christ, remember only one Jesus, there can be only one church. So Paul says there is one body. And this is related to baptism as well. Paul talks about one baptism. Baptism is the instrument the Holy Spirit uses to connect us to Christ. We are baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're not baptized into anyone or anything else. There is only one baptism, and it is baptism into the one body of Jesus Christ. This one baptism unites us into one body, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, whether we recognize it or not, We already are united with one another in Jesus Christ. So, excuse me. On the one hand, Christian unity is a reality to be recognized. On the other hand, it is still a goal to be attained. And this has to do with the term one faith. Now, usually the word faith is kind of synonymous with the word trust. That's how how we typically use it. It typically refers to our believing in something or someone. This is what we mean when we say, I have faith in Jesus. It means the same thing as, I believe in Jesus, or I trust in Jesus. But other times, the word faith refers to a system of doctrine, or beliefs. And this happens in both Greek and English. We might refer to the Christian faith, or the Hindu faith, or any other set of religious beliefs as a faith. In this way, the word faith is basically synonymous with the words creed or doctrine. And the second definition is how Paul uses the word faith in this text, both in verse 5, where he talks about one faith, and later in verse 13, where he talks about the unity of the faith. So when Paul says there is one faith, he means that there is only one Christian church. Within a congregation and among different denominations of Christians, we might have different opinions and beliefs. We might have different understandings of what this Christian faith is, but there is still only one Christian faith. There is only one 
Christian doctrine. Sometimes we talk about different denominations as if we have different doctrine. We talk about Lutheran doctrine or Roman Catholic doctrine or Baptist doctrine. But to be technical, and sometimes I like to do that, it's not really the right way to talk about it. There is only one Christian doctrine. So a better way to distinguish our differences is to speak of the Lutheran expression of the Christian faith or the Roman Catholic expression of the Christian faith or the Baptist expression of the Christian faith. You get the point? Now maybe that just seems a little too wordy and too fine of a distinction. But I hope, it, I hope it will help us remember that we don't have a whole bunch of different truths. There is only one truth. And we should, we should all try as best as we can to express that truth faithfully and accurately. It's not a truth that we get to make up. We don't get to decide what it is. We could have a, a voters meeting and decide that God is a rainbow-colored unicorn. But that doesn't make it true. We do not determine what the truth is. Truth exists outside of us. And if we are going to know the truth of God, the best way to know that truth is to listen to what he has revealed about himself. Now, as we look around Christianity, the sad reality is that we have a lot of differences among Christians. This is not a good thing. We should not be content with this. Paul expresses God's desire that we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. It's easy to see differences among Christians when we think of it on the level of denominations. Lutherans and Baptists and Presbyterians and Pentecostals and Roman Catholics all have differences. That's plain to see. But you or I are not going to swing an entire denomination. So the practical place, really, for us to work to attain to the unity of the faith is on an individual level, with our Methodist or Catholic or even other Lutheran friends, because Lutherans don't always agree with each other. Even within the same congregation, including this one, we are bound to find areas in which we disagree. And this is not good. Now, the world tells us that we should celebrate diversity in all its forms. And some forms of diversity are good, okay? I know that. Please don't sign me up for sensitivity training. But theological diversity is not good. Suppose we have a group of ten people, and all of us have different beliefs about God. All that means is that at least nine of us are going to be wrong, and that's not good. If we believe that God exists, and if we believe that God has revealed his truth in the Holy Scriptures, then we should not be content with our doctrine until we reach unity in every part. Now that might sound crazy and unreasonable, but this is the will of God, that we attain to the unity of the faith. And maybe doctrine itself is just a dirty word, in your opinion. But the only kind of doctrine that is bad is false doctrine. True doctrine is good. Because true doctrine is simply the teaching of who God is and what he does. 
Sometimes you might hear someone say, I don't care much for doctrine. I just care about loving Jesus. But the problem is, you can't love Jesus unless you know who he is. And doctrine is the teaching of who he is. It's kind of like saying, I don't really know much about my wife. I just focus on loving her. That won't work with your wife, and it won't work with Jesus either. It's impossible to love Jesus without doctrine. A Christian really can't ignore the study of Christian doctrine. Without doctrine, that is, without the study of the Holy Scriptures, your faith will have no content, and that faith will die. This is what we remind parents, sponsors, and the congregation of every time we baptize a child. Teaching the Christian faith is not optional. It is necessary. So God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers for this very task. The word shepherd, by the way, is the same as the word pastor. This is why I need to teach the word of God, with the goal that we might all attain to the unity of the faith. The goal is that by teaching the faith, we would come to a common understanding of the truth. Now, that doesn't mean that I'm always right, though I suppose I could be wrong about that. But God's word is always right. And, and when we study it together, and when we wrestle with it together, and when we submit ourselves to its authority We will grow together into a better understanding of it, and we will grow closer and closer to attaining this unity of the faith. Now, perfect agreement doesn't quite seem possible, at least not on this side of eternity. But I hope you recognize that every step closer together is well worth it. And this is God's will, that we attain to the unity of the faith. This goal is worthwhile because doctrine is not trivia. Doctrine is simply the biblical teaching of who God is and what he has done for us. There's nothing trivial about that. It teaches of our gracious Heavenly Father who created the world and everything in it, yet still cares about each one of us individually. It teaches of the the Son of God who came willingly as a human being to suffer and die to make atonement for our sins and who rose again on the third day, opening eternal life for all mankind. It tells of the Holy Spirit who is sent to be our comforter and sanctifier. He convicts us of our sins when we go astray and he convinces our hearts that those very sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake. Biblical doctrine is not trivia. It is the revelation of this God who loves us and has worked to save us. Everything in Christian doctrine, from the doctrine of the Trinity to baptism to the doctrine of the church, and everything in between is connected to the story of our salvation. And so we unite ourselves in this task of growing together in God's word. And we do this so that with one voice we might praise our gracious God who has made us one in the body of his Son, Jesus Christ. For there is one Lord, his name is Jesus Christ, he is the only Lord, and we are his body. Amen. Now may the peace of God, which passes all understanding, 
Guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.